All right, cool. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Talk Clean to Me. I'm your host, Joe Carrot. And I'm Chloe Holzinger. And joining us today is the founder and CEO of Crowd Comfort, Eric Graham. Eric, could you please uh, introduce yourself? Uh, well, you just introduced me, but uh, Eric Graham <laughs> from Crowd Comfort. <laughs> Great. And um, if you could give us a little bit of, uh, of your background, your expertise, uh, and some of your experience before Crowd Comfort. So uh, that's a long and winding road, but uh, <laughs> I. Um, have spent about a dozen years in uh, building technologies, energy systems. I spent uh, some early days with uh, Enernoc, mm -hmm. where we were looking at IoT type systems before they were talking about IoT um, in the way they do now, but looking at how we can pull data out of building management systems, focused on how do you mine data out of building systems and turn that into energy information. Mm -hmm. uh, I left there and joined the Fraunhofer Institute, mm -hmm. which is where we are today yep. doing this podcast, uh, helping them develop this uh, living laboratory building, as well as um, start the TechBridge program, which, uh, which helps early stage technologies, you know, transition from lab to market, basically. Right. Yep. And that's, uh, that's kind of how I got my, my start in clean tech was um, being a fellow at the uh, the TechBridge program, which was super awesome, I was there uh, after Eric's time with the program, um, but it was uh, it was definitely alive and kicking then, and that was a lot of fun. It's good to hear you had a great time. Oh, absolutely, it was yeah. super cool. In fact, I I certainly miss the days where an important part of my job was just networking with people, going to all <laughs> of the fun events around town. We were at the Clean Tech Open event this past week and it was like I felt like I hadn't seen it I felt like I was at a college reunion yeah I hadn't seen everybody in forever it was really cool catching up with everybody and it really made me miss um having that chance as a fellow especially at TechBridge so quick plug for TechBridge if you're if you're a, have a science background but kind of more interested in um you know deployment and development of technologies um combined TechBridge is a great place to do that as a fellow and um and you get to network and meet a lot of cool people yeah, I mean, it's a great place to sort of look at the entire industry mm -hmm. and look at a lot of different companies and see which ones pique your interest and where you think you may want to jump, yeah, jump on board That's where with. I first yeah. had the idea for this podcast. So there, were, there wouldn't even be a talk clean to me. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine wow. a world without it. Cool. Um, so what, what is the problem that Crowd Comfort looks to solve? In the shortest form, I would say, you know, we can all take uh, an Uber to work mm -hmm. and we're sort of operating in the 21st century and then we can step in a building and it's like stepping back in time 20 years, right? <laughs> the ability to leverage native mobile capabilities to improve the way you communicate information about things you need that impact your comfort, your safety, or your productivity in a, in a big company, in a big building somewhere. Doing that is like, you know, being in the 90s, really, um, the way in which these systems have been built to respond and the way people respond is not, you know, in a modern age. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly not suited to the millennial generation. How does crowd comfort solve that problem? So we've built a native mobile 
application, which means for any lay people out there that we leverage the, all the capabilities of the mobile device that we have in our pocket. And if you look at the, the capabilities of this, of this device that we have, that we're all, almost all of us are carrying, we're, we're hitting about 80%. The power of this device is about a thousand times more powerful than the devices of 2005. That was when we hit the peak you know, penetration of desktop computing and the internet. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's where there's this giant lack of, of use where we're not, enterprise hasn't really adopted mobility mm -hmm. in the way in which it operates today. And that leads to an even bigger problem for society where if you look at uh, the US economy is actually growing, the productivity rate is, is at a negative growth rate mm -hmm. this year. Um, to me, a lot of that has to do with the fact that all these technologies that we leverage, you know, all the things we do um, in, our, in our workplace are, and if you look at, you know, there was a McKinsey study of, of 2012 where they looked at how much time an average worker spends doing email, searching for information and communicating information. It's about 61% mm -hmm. of our daily life. Wow. And, and that's, yeah, I believe it. And that's, and, I mean, I think you could all, if you actually think about it, that's what we're all doing. Yeah. I'm doing it. It hasn't changed since they put out this study. I mean, it's because, you know, these, these enterprise uh, users of technology are so embedded in the old-fashioned ways of doing things, and they're slow to move. So I think the fact that we're failing to adopt these technologies at the rate that we did um, adopt you know, desktop computing um, is what's holding back productivity growth. So I know that at Greentown, you can use the Crowd Comfort app to report on how warm or cold you are in a Greentown room. Yeah. What else could you do with the Crowd Comfort app? I know there are lots more capabilities advertising your website. Yeah. Um, could so, you describe some of the others? If you look at actually the, the news feeds that come in from our customers every day, it's probably 20% are comfort related. The rest are everyday issues from like the mundane, you know, uncleanly areas or, um, you know, things that are, you know, bathroom needs something to, hey, there's, um, there's an alarm going off somewhere. You know, it's a human sensor response to, hey, there's an alarm going off on this piece of equipment and I'm just letting somebody know. Because it's probably an IoT device that's delivering information to nowhere. And when, um, when you look at comfort, uh, this gives this layer of information that nobody really has today. If you think about thermostats in buildings, the thermostat was invented in 1883. It, in a commercial building, the thermostats are locked up in cages. They're hidden in funky places. Um, they're, they're dummy thermostats to give people like a placebo effect. So it's all of those <laughs> things that tell me that this technology has been obsolete for a long time. Mm -hmm. And no one's really thought about hey, maybe we should get more occupant feedback and figure out what we can learn from that mm -hmm. so that we can better supply a way to manage this, this problem. One of the things that we were looking to establish like from day one was like prove out that, hey, you could actually do this idea of, of unlocking human sensors and actually turn that into meaningful information. And 
pretty quickly into our beta program, we were able to see the way the air was flowing through a building based on the feedback we got from people, hmm. right? That's Without helpful. putting any wires or batteries or anything in a building, but just say, here's an app, use your device and tell us what you feel, right? That's great. Do you have anything for right now? I think I'm ready to move on from tech and cool. move on to, yeah. on to business things. Yeah, definitely. So I'd love to hear... Um, well, I was going to ask about the, the origin of cloud, you know, crowd comfort, where the idea came from, how you found your original team. Uh, what was the genesis? So uh, another interesting story. Um, we were, uh, I was working at Next Step Living and um, led the sponsorship effort of the Clean Web Hackathon of 2013 mm -hmm. um, that was held at Greentown at the Summer Street location right up the road from here. Um, and I was there on a Saturday at this hackathon ideation session and the idea for crowd comfort was put on the table by, um, Galen Nelson at the mass clean energy center. And, you know, the, he basically said, Hey, why don't we leverage people in their smartphones to unlock thermal comfort data in buildings and see if we can turn that into energy information. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, wait a minute, really? That's, that's interesting. You know, the, w from where, you know, smartphone technology had gotten to at that point, it just seemed like, wait a minute, you could, you could do some cool things. So we focused on, uh, sort of bringing out different elements and ideas at the, at the ideation session with everybody there and everything's right from the sort of idea of creating heat maps and, um, and being able to take photographs and the name crowd comfort all like emerged really crowd comfort you had literally that name right, right there day one. It, yeah it was like <laughs> it was it all happened it was like a magic moment and uh i wasn't i after that that hackathon and we won that initial sort of the weekend event i wasn't leaving my day job at that point it was still like I wanted some more market validation and it, it did so happen that the phone started to ring with big companies who were like, Hey, we heard about this thing, you know, yeah. can you come talk to us? And I was like, well, I don't, it's not really a company. I was just, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, okay, well, I'll come talk to you, you know, see what happens. Cool. How did you, how did you choose um, building efficiency and building technology over the countless other technologies that also are looking to be updated from their 30, yeah. 40, 50 year initial, um, initial build? Well, it was more an interest in clean energy that led me to Enernoc. Mm -hmm. um, and I mentioned this, uh, the company that I started in 1999. I, I, in the in the mid '90s, I developed this uh, freezing and shipping technology that used recycled carbon dioxide as a refrigerant uh, to freeze tuna for the sushi industry in Japan. <laughs> cool. This is like a crazy. I, I could, you know, <laughs> could do a whole other podcast on that <laughs> on that might. part of my life. <laughs> Bonus episode. We <laughs> <laughs> <Only> get patrons. <laughs> um, you know, we were freezing and shipping product at minus 60 degrees Celsius, about minus 80 Fahrenheit. Um, so these containers were like mini buildings, like 40 foot long, eight foot, you know, that would maintain this temperature using a non-mechanical refrigeration source. 
And so that, you know, so that was kind of my first foray into sort of thermal dynamics, keeping sushi, you know, happy at very, very cold temperatures versus keeping people in buildings, you know, sushi happy comes at first. Sushi over people. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, and, and then prior to that, my dad was an architect and I grew up just going to buildings as a kid with him. And I worked as a draftsman in his, uh, in his practice really? in the summers and stuff. And so cool. I, um, I've always been kind of very interested in buildings and design and things like that. Yeah, it's interesting. So with my current company, WeGoWise, it was my first um, experience with buildings, building efficiency, real estate. And it's really easy to fall in love with buildings and the space. And they're very much alive in a certain kind of way. And it's very, very interesting. Yeah. It's a very interesting space. It really is. And... Um, but the more, you know, the more, you know, you look at it, it's buildings are built with systems that have to work. Right. Right. I mean, that's, that's the, the nature of the real estate industry is that it's conservative for a reason. Right. They want, if you put a system in a building, it, it better work or because if, if you have to come back and fix it, it is, is a huge problem. Right. Um, and so that's, that's, it's, it's been interesting to understand how much opportunity there is for leveraging this kind of technology that we're working on. Um, and it's, it's fun to be able to, 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 to muck around in it and, you know, <laughs> get people, make them uncomfortable thinking about crowdsourcing <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the customers you reach out to, are they kind of hip to this kind of thing or is this new and terrifying to them? The ones that are our customers are like real innovators okay. right now. You sure. know, the vast majority are like, you want to crowdsource occupant data? <laughs> and I, I describe it as like, you know, turning the keys to the asylum over the inmates kind of idea. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really, it, it, this wasn't the place they thought they were going to get innovation and efficiency yeah, <laughs> from. But uh, it tends to provide a ton of efficiency and productivity. So That's wonderful. Yeah. What is what do you consider to be your biggest challenge right now? I mean, the biggest challenge with with any business that's selling to big companies like Fortune 500 companies, like we are, is just you know shortening the sales cycle. Mm -hmm. You know, getting people to sign quickly as opposed to like really slowly, and you know, overcoming all the barriers from you know the initial champions that are really into it to then the broader people you know groups that's going to you know activate and use a technology to those that have to approve it legally and you know security wise and procurement wise like it gets harder you know the the, the mountain gets bigger as you go deeper into that you know into that group of people but yeah but we're proving it so I'm curious to know, so you guys are a small company, just start, how, how big is the team right now? We're about 12 people. 12 people. Full-time. What, what kinds of things are you guys doing now to prepare for what CrowdComfort will hopefully look like three, day, three years down the road? We try to hire people that are self-motivated, mm -hmm. ultimately. And so we're not like tracking people's hours you know, we're not really like sitting on top of people. Um, we do track performance um, metrics around, you know, effort related goals, right? Um, but 
we try to hire people that are self-motivated. And when you hire really good people that are self-motivated, you sort of point them in a direction and they go, right? right? And, um, and that's, I mean, that's something that we love to do. And it's self-policing. You know, everybody on the, in the company is like aware when someone's slacking off, you sure. know? And, you know, you don't want to be a slacker in an environment like that. Yeah. You know, so. I understand that as one out of six people who reports to Greentown Labs for our company. Yeah. It's, you're definitely aware of how much you contribute yes. compared to how many, how much other people contribute. Right. And you don't, you don't want to be that guy <laughs> right. slowing everybody else down. Right. Right. And there, you know, as the company grows, you, you have to put more and more systems in place. But again, if you have the mentality of like, let's hire really good people, you're going to, you're going to be much better off mm-hmm. and, uh, you'll be in a good place as a business as how, you grow. How do you hire really good people? We, you know, it, it depends on what you're trying to hire. I mean, um, when you're trying to hire coders, it's, you know, you throw everything you possibly can at it. Um, but what we've, we found works well is hiring, you know, the right kind of recruiting um, companies or individuals who know how to do that and um, can help you target the right individuals for the right kind of capabilities that you need. Um, beyond coding, uh, because that market is like, in huge demand um it's uh we use a combination of you know available methods uh online that you can post jobs um and networks you know people that you worked with before other people in the company have worked with before um often helps but it's uh a little bit of everything right you know yeah, certainly a theme we've had with um, some of our interviews now when we've asked this question is um, network seems to be one of the most important factors. So if you're someone out there who's you know, looking to join a good startup, you know, you got to be out there talking to the right people, figuring out who knows who and um, you know, building a, a case for yourself as someone who's going to be a self-motivated worker uh, in, in a startup. Yeah. And as somebody who didn't previously have a network with my current company, um, simple persistence uh, and literally door knocking um, until somebody picks up is really the way to do it. And mm. also shows that you will be there during those late nights and weekends and odd hours, right? which is really what startups need. Yeah. So part of what we're looking to accomplish with this podcast is to humanize startups. Um, a lot of people see it, startups from the outside as either unattainable or kind of Tony Starkish. only the certain brilliant ones can really do it. Um, and from our experiences, uh, we find that really it takes a certain few qualities um, in order to pursue that. Mm. Um, and we're trying to highlight those qualities with, with stories. Um, so we like to ask, what are your two stories? One of your your best time in a startup, whether it's your current startup or your 1999 startup, Freezing Tuna. Mm. Um, and what what got you going? What really drives you to be in this kind of position? And then a second story for your scariest moment in a startup. 
I'll start with with you know that that big aha moment and in a startup generally you know once you you sort of have this idea and it's a blank sheet of paper and you you try to then turn that into something that you you know that you're going to present to to someone mm-hmm. who might want to buy it and um I've always been an entrepreneur, so I've I've had so many situations where it's like this idea just didn't work. Like, you know, it's just a dud. You know, it's that joke that nobody laughed at. You know, it's like it doesn't it just doesn't work. Um, And then when you have something where it does work, that that, like that early validation is so um, empowering for an entrepreneur. It's like. I, you know, I love the, those moments where you actually, and in crowd comfort is, is a, is a great example where it's like from that first moment where the idea happened, it was like, I could see how, how it would add value, but that's a long way away from like going to GE and then being like, you guys, I have to show you how we do this today because what you guys are doing is so much better than what we have, you know, and walking in the door of that giant company thinking like the only thing that these guys are going to, that we have a chance of even like having them think is cool is like this idea of a crowdsourced thermostat, right? This, that's something that'd be new and different. They love that, but they were immediately like, you know, all this other stuff about just reporting issues and managing everyday things was the pull from our, I mean, from our beta, original beta program, it was like, that was the pull. It was like the light bulb went off for them and they were just like eating it up, right? That, that moment. And then, then you're, then you're like, okay, well, this could just be like an outlier, right? This could just be like a one-off. This is just this building within GE does and then when you start to find out that this is kind of how the industry works and you know other you find others who are like you know these early adopters who are like oh this is this is going to be so much better and that help you navigate like that's as an entrepreneur that's what you what you live for you know right, right. and there's all these there's different moments right i mean you you're like there's that early proof that, that I'm talking about now, and then there's like the larger scaling um, proofs, you know, right. those milestones that you're trying to get to, and you know, okay, can you land? You know, we're, we're in this process of like we've been landing these big clients with like one building, right, or one part of a building, and now we're starting to see them go to multiple buildings or multiple, you know, larger parts of a building, things like that, and start, and then now they're starting to say. Hey, could we? What would it look like to roll this out across the whole portfolio? Yeah. You know, it's like we, we're starting to get those kinds oh, of. That's got to feel good. Those, <laughs> you know, and and that's <laughs> that's like, you know, that's that's exciting. But each time you go, you know, you go for those next set of milestones, you're like, you know, you're you're cranking up the heat on yourself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> literally. Yep. So that's great. I've never heard anyone speak so highly of the experience of customer discovery. It's typically a part of the process that entrepreneurs, at least at first, are not too keen to do. But it sounds like that 
especially when you're getting, you know, positive signals, that's really a, a big rush for you. Yeah. But there's a lot of rejection in there and it's, yeah, it's yeah. the rejection that makes the wind so much sweeter, you know? <laughs> Definitely. Cool. Did you have a scariest moment or a most stressful moment? Yeah. So the, the scariest moment I ever had in an entrepreneurial situation was when, um, with, uh, the, the, the shipping tuna, uh, company. Now we were going to market and we had actually acquired customers who gave us some of their product that was, you know, about a million dollars worth of product in one container. We had about, I think our first shipment was like, we shipped five of them from, uh, from Australia to Japan. And I'd spent, you know, several months in Japan getting everything ready, you know, preparing everything. And we would ship. And that, that trip from Melbourne to Japan was about three weeks. And um, we had, we use, as I mentioned, we use carbon dioxide. So we would put liquid carbon dioxide into the container. That basically um, converts to dry ice snow inside the box. And we'd fill the top of the container um, with this snow. And when we were putting the carbon dioxide in the, in the first container, um, the truck driver hooks it up. And instead of just what they call decanting, where you're just letting the pressure push the gas out of the tanker, he, puts a, he turns on a pump. <laughs> and I didn't realize that he turned on a pump because I didn't never seen anybody turn a pump on before for this thing. It was something they do in Australia because they want to get the stuff out more quickly so they can go on to the next, you know, run and do the next load. So he was, we were, we were, um, you know, filling up the container. We were about, you know, a third of the way through and there's like this explosion sound, right? It was like, I mean, and I'm standing next to the thing. It was just sounded like a lightning bolt, like struck, oh. you know, on top of the container. And I was like, you know, my heart was like in my throat. And I was like, what the heck? What just happened? You know? And, um, you know, the, the container didn't explode, but it basically like expanded. <laughs> so like the walls of the container, like bowed out, mm -hmm. like, like two inches. Right. And then... <laughs> So we shut everything down and, and, and then the, the, so the walls came back in, Okay, you know, mm -hmm. these are the most insulated shipping containers ever built. Like <laughs> six inch wall, you know, they had six yeah. inches of wall thickness. I mean, these things oh, were like geez. battleships, right? <laughs> and here I am sitting there and I'm like trying to figure out like what happened? You know, did, did, you know, is this going to impact the insulation value of the container? Like, is the is the shipping line gonna take the thing with it like with the wall like slightly bowed? Sure. <laughs> I'd know? be just be thinking there's months and months of preparation and you're sitting here <laughs> a quarter of the way oh, to the finish line with your your heart in your throat. Oh, it was incredible. So and you know, it's a I special called, kind of panic. I'm like I'm calling the the engineer at the manufacturing facility where we had the containers built in Korea and I was like talking him through what happened and we, you know, just you know went back and forth talked to the shipping line and finally we're like all right all right these we're gonna we're, we're good this is gonna work <laughs> <laughs> these guys, the tuna are not damaged yeah, that's yeah that's and what i wanted to damage, know you know we put we put like an extra amount of of um of the, the you know the dry ice into the container and and we shipped it you know and um and then um, you know a month later i was in japan and they arrived and 
they were really happy tuna. Yeah. I'm imagining <laughs> myself at the other end of that engineering call, like just thinking, what did you do to my baby? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was, uh, it she was, was perfect when I gave her to you. <laughs> it was, uh, that was the most frightening moment for me, you know, and, and, I think as, as an entrepreneur, I experienced this, and I sure, I'm sure most other entrepreneurs experience this, but there's always like, especially in the early days, those like, those phone calls or emails or things that you're waiting on that you, that you know are going like, to like kill everything. It's going <laughs> to be like that. You're going to get that, that notice or email or phone call that's going to, it's just going to be the end, you know? And then you get those, like those things actually happen, <laughs> but then you, you get through it. Yeah. You actually, you're like, okay, this is the worst possible thing that could ever happen, but you work through it. This is like the worst possible set of scenarios that you've been waiting that you were hoping never would happen and they happen. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, you work through it and you figure it out. Yeah. And then, and then you're like. Oh, that was easy. <laughs> I'm invincible. Then it's like, well, what's, what's next? You know? Great. Sounds like how I approach grad school, honestly. <laughs> awesome. Cool. That's great. Um, so we'll just move right along into the, uh, the last section here, I think, unless you had anything else here in the startup stories. No, I'm Chloe. pretty good. Cool. Um, so one thing we like to pick our guests' brains about is the climate for incubators and accelerators uh, here in the Northeast in Boston. We have a very kind of, I'd say, rich environment of, of resources. So I know you've done, in fact, uh, we both had a company in the Cleantech Open uh, the same year. Uh, you were housed at Greentown Labs. What are your feelings on what resources have been useful or not useful um, you know, as you've been building this company? And to add to that question, you're also the first company that we've talked to that or like had its origin at a hackathon. So if you could speak to that as well. Well, um, so I didn't even know what a hackathon was <laughs> when I first heard about this event. That I was so, uh, but... Um, so your very first hackathon. That was my Shocked first hackathon. out of the park. <laughs> what are the chances? Oh, jeez. Like, um, but... Um, there's there's so many resources here from places like Greentown Labs and and other uh, there's a, a bunch of incubators in Massachusetts that serve clean energy companies um, to folks like the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center that provide some funding. Um, there's so many people from all the universities that are all looking to help and be part of the startup ecosystem who are, I mean, one of the, the lifebloods of so many companies is these young people coming out, like, like you were at, at TechBridge, um, who are coming out of this ecosystem or even just coming into the ecosystem, right? You came from Cornell? Yeah. Yeah, so coming from upstate New York to Boston, um, looking for a place to learn about the ecosystem. I think there's so many um, opportunities for people to come from outside or to be taking the next step out of school to learning about it and being part of it. So I'm from the Boston area, but I went to school in Florida and then North Carolina. And I heard through a friend of a friend that, oh, you should really come back home for clean tech. And I was very resistant to the idea for a long time. But it's really a fantastic area for clean tech. And yeah. I'm really happy that, um, that I came back home. Yeah. 
Um, I would, you know, as a someone who's just interested in the startup ecosystem, you know, go to MassCC. First of all, I think I, I think I recommended that you yeah, go there. Well, right? Everybody recommends CF. Yeah, the, uh, it's such a great um, internship program that yeah. they do because they help companies identify these candidates. Um, so anyone that's like that, if you're a if you're a company, then um, MassCC is a you know a great place to go. But you can you can reach out to me, uh, Eric at CrowdComfort.com. Um, I'm happy to talk to people that are interested. But um, anyone else, you know. I'm sure, you know, Joe and Chloe here are uh, available to Definitely. point people in the right direction. Um, but it's just, it's a great place to, to plug in. And there's programs that you can find online that are being run regularly. So from, you know, MIT to North Shore, or South Shore to Fraunhofer, there's places to, to plug in. Cool. What would you tell aspiring entrepreneurs out there who want to make the world a better place, who are interested in clean tech or social entrepreneurship, like what, what would you tell them to get them excited, to get them fired up or to help them be successful? What's your, what's your piece of wisdom you'd most like to them to have? Well, I think if you, I mean, if, if you, if you believe that, um, you know, the way in which we're impacting the climate is important, then it's you know there's nothing better than finding ways to do well and do good you know it's it's having that additional reward um for the work you do is really really motivating and uh and benefits i think people makes people better people when they are working towards a, a you know greater good than just say an economic benefit so that's what i would say cool i dig it all right well again thank you and for more information please see our show notes on our website uh, talkcleanpodcast.com and uh, if you'd like to support the show please tell a friend tweet about us uh, follow us on instagram we are at talkcleanpod on both instagram and twitter um, and in the future please uh, give us a good review on itunes um, it really matters and we really appreciate it. I do have a challenge this week. Oh, I just yeah? thought of a good one. Um, so, um, if you give us a five star review for this episode, you can name a blendable ingredient. And after a certain amount of time, we will add all of these ingredients to a blender and <laughs> I will do my best to consume said blended ingredients. Joe will do his best with, to consume I said think it blended. has to be a team effort, Chloe. So if <laughs> you give us a five-star review. <laughs> <laughs> so, so name your ingredient, um, and, uh, and uh, I'll do my best. If it blends, I will try to consume it. It has to be consumable, can't be within toxic. Within reason, can't be poisonous. Yeah. Please don't poison me. <laughs> you know, if you want to add tasty things, I would appreciate that as well. Berries are great. Yeah, you know. It could Do you be have whatever. any allergies? Creepy crawly things? I, I, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Come on, stop giving my ideas, Eric. <laughs> what are you doing, man? <laughs> and um, also on our website, you can sign up for our mailing list. Uh, to be notified when we expand past uh, being available on our website to either Stitcher Radio, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, any of the other um, 
podcast listening mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Um, so please sign up there. And for suggestions, please get in touch. Visit our website. Tweet at us. Uh, email us at contact at talkcleanpodcast.com. Um, and thank you very much for listening. Yeah, thank, thank you very you much, guys. Eric. That's it. Thanks, guys. Yep, that's Talk Clean to me. Thanks, everybody. Cool. Good yeah. stuff. All right, we're out.